<laughs> All right, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Jeff Brown, and I'm back with my wife again. Hi. And we are going to continue our discussion from last time about uh, um, about nature and nurture. But we're going to actually talk more about the nurture side of things and the environment side of things and how to create an environment that will make a difference. Now I want to, before we get started this time, tell you that to check out my website, jeffbrownsclassroom.com. I've got all kinds of resources on there that go along with the podcast, along with lots of other resources that you might want to check out with lots of other videos that kind of go along with the things that we teach here. So make sure you check that out. Alright, so today we're going to start talking, uh, last time we talked about how nature and nurture were, and we talked a little bit about how much genetic influence things have, so remember about how much that was for most of the traits? 48 to 51, 2. That was pretty good. Good job. You passed the test. Alright, so uh, we're going to talk about, though that leaves room for environmental influence, but one thing I want to, as a, as a thing to remember from the last thing, had to do with, I want to make sure we're not carrying toxic ideas with us. Sorry, I'm having trouble with my Okay. Sorry, I keep yawning. <laughs> it's totally not super late right now. It's not late. No. It feels late. We're actually, you know, it's like early in the morning, like three in the morning. No, I'm it's just not, kidding. It's not that I'm at ready all. for bed. Okay. So in any case here, uh, this is a brief clip from a movie that we watched a while ago. He is never going to be you. We just have to help him be himself. What does that mean that we have to help them be themselves? And how do we create an environment to do that, which is kind of today's topic here. How do we help them be themselves? I have an idea. Good. That's what I'm here for. I want to hear your ideas. <laughs> Maybe we weren't that good at it, but letting kids try different things. Okay. So giving them room to explore, you mean? Yeah. Okay. So, like... Maybe they, maybe our girls want to do dance. We gave Emily the chance to do dance. She decided she likes soccer better. Okay, so trying different things. Yeah. What else does it mean to help them to be themselves? I, I think, and I think of like not just be themselves, but be the best version of themselves is what we're trying to do as parents, right? It's kind of what we talked about last time, helping them to be happy. Yeah, I think our kids try to please us a lot, so. I don't know how you break that. You mean in a negative way, you mean? Yeah. Like feeling like we expect a certain thing of them. Yeah. Versus doing maybe what they want to do. Okay. So, and well, we do have some expectations. So, yeah. And then wanting to fulfill those expectations is a good thing. But you mean like um, it stifles their desire to explore what they want to do? Yeah. Maybe a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that we all have to watch out for a little bit also. So, um, with the idea of environment, I want to show this quick clip from uh, Megamind also. So, in Megamind, it's kind of an awesome uh, um, thought experiment about nature versus nurture because uh, Megamind is, is put into a very different environment from Metro Man. So, I want to kind of just show you. Yes, that's me. I had a fairly standard childhood. I came from what you might call a broken home. Literally broken. 
I was eight days old and still living with my parents. How sad is that? Clearly, it was time to move on. Here is your minion. He will take care of you. And here is your pinky. You are destined for I didn't quite hear that last part, but it sounded important. Destined for what? I set out to find my destiny. Turns out a kid from the Glaucon Quadrant had the exact same idea. That was the day I met Mr. Goody Two-Shoes and our glorious rivalry was born. Could this be what I was destined for? A dream life filled with luxury? Apparently not. Even fate picks its favorites. No big deal. A much different fate awaited me. Oh, yes, yes, I saw it and thought of you. Luckily, I found a lovely little place to call home. Can we keep it? A place that taught me the differences between right and wrong. Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, on the other hand, had life handed to him on a silver platter. Our baby can fly. Yes, yes, nothing but the best for you, darling. The power of flight, invulnerability, and great hair. Okay, let's stop there. Guys, great hair. We don't want to forget that. Okay, okay. let's stop there. Got great hair. So, uh, there's two questions I want to ask you, and we can talk a little bit about it. So, the first one is, like, can an environment change your destiny? Like, for instance, we talked a lot about how genes really impact who we are, but can uh being landing in the lap of luxury like metro man or um landing in the prison like megamind make a difference and in, in, in what ways do you think it makes a difference uh, absolutely <laughs> it can totally make a difference yeah um if you have things that like if you grow up where you have all of your needs taken care of like food and home and clothes and all those things need those needs taken care of then you'll see the world differently than someone who maybe doesn't has a family that struggles with those like maybe they're hungry a lot maybe they don't have the enough money to to do things so what do you think would happen with the story if metro man was actually the one who landed in the prison and he had invulnerability and great hair i have no idea <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> well, yeah, I think it'd be kind of scary. Like, if he was the bad guy, it'd be a big problem, right? Oh, yeah. Like, there's a whole comic series that's put out there called uh, Injustice, where Superman in an alternate universe ends up killing the Joker and turns into a super evil, bad dictator authoritarian. And nobody can stop him except for Batman. Maybe that's why I wore my Batman tie today and my Batman watch. <laughs> but Batman is the only one who can stand against him. But again, sometimes does environment change destiny? Like with Metro Man. 
And, and the other question that I have to go on with this, something I told my students um, is that the more I understand about child development, the less judgmental I get. Like, how does that relate to this here? Um, well, are you looking at both, like, why children are? Because of environment and genes, yeah, like exactly. Because the mm -hmm. then, um, how can well we shouldn't judge them anyway? But how can you judge them? I mean, you really can't judge fairly if you have different situations. Yeah, well, I think it's real common for people to look at poor people and say, "Why don't they just work as hard as I can?" Or if I was in that situation, then I would definitely do much better than they do. But understanding more about child development is that really true would we really do much better than them we don't know because we we're never in that situation that's the thing for one thing first of all your brain would be different right yeah and uh so you don't know what you'd be like would you be able to do all the things that you're doing now no you wouldn't have learned the same skills. You wouldn't have learned the same resilience. Your brain would have grown up in a very different environment. I'll have another episode on brain development here in the future and how trauma affects that. But the you fact is, is that you would most likely be like them. And we know that because, again, people who are in that environment tend to be like them. Like everybody likes to point out the one person who can, who can you know, bootstrap it and stuff like that. But the fact is, most of them, 90%, uh, or I don't know exact statistics, most of them end up stuck where they're at. And it's probably safe to say that most of anybody else would be also. So there's not really an equal opportunity. As Megamind says, fate picks its favorites also. Because you might say that, well, one or two beat the test, but would you rather take a test where 90% of the people pass if they have all their needs met or a test where maybe 5% of the people pass? Doesn't seem like equal opportunity there. Anyways, just thought I'd talk about that for a second because we, again, the more what's important in child development that I tell my students and that I'm going to be talking about with the teachers tomorrow is that we can't judge students. We have to understand that they come from an environment that there's reasons why the way they are the way they are. And, and right. it's not really their choice for the most part. So whether it's nature or nurture, you don't choose either one of those. So now some of you might be lucky enough to give your kids pretty messed up genes like Tiffany and I. Oh, <laughs> but uh, the mm -hmm. fact is, is uh, hopefully we can create an environment to help them with those genes. Like for instance, uh, uh, if Megamind was in the better environment, would that have changed his destiny? And the answer is most likely yes, right? So that's what we want to talk a little bit about today is what does that environment look like and how do we create that environment? And uh, it has a lot to do with brain development. So I want to show this really quick also. Humans come to the table pre-programmed for certain things like absorbing language or mimicking facial expressions. But the thing that's really remarkable about humans is the degree to which their brains are unfinished. And this leads to a period of prolonged helplessness. But the plan is simple. Instead of hardwiring everything the way a rhino does, let life experience wire up the rest of the brain. Arrive with something that's a little bit sloppy and tune it up on the fly. 
While the brain comes pre-programmed with certain things, it's also programmed to match its environment, which is why environment has such a big role in our, in our development also, is that our genes actually made it so the environment can influence the brain. So the question then becomes is what kind of environment does the brain need? Because if the brain doesn't get an environment that actually enriches it or um, takes care of it, then it can actually cause some problems. And so that's the risk of it. We can be um, ready for all kinds of environments or not ready for anything, depending on how enriching the environment is. And uh, we have um, known some kids who grew up in some environments who uh, really didn't get what they need, right? Like for instance, there's a lot of studies on orphanages in different countries, uh, Romania or sometimes uh, China or stuff like that, where kids are in overcrowded orphanages and they don't get the um, stimulation that they need where nurses can only take care of their food and uh, um, change them but they can't really play with them. So and we've kind of seen some of the effects on that with some uh, that can oftentimes cause what's oftentimes called reactive attachment disorder. So the brain needs uh, an, an environment that kind of stimulates it. So let's talk a little bit what, what that means here really quick. So first of all this is another clip from Lilo and Stitch here. So Stitch is actually programmed genetically for destruction, as we say here. And... Oh great! He's loose! His destructive programming is taking effect. He will be irresistibly drawn to large cities where he will back up sewers, reverse street signs, and steal everyone's left shoe. It's nice to live on an island with no large cities. Are you okay? The question is, can the environment that Stitch grows up in actually um, change him for the better? Like for instance, he, he needs a, a large city for that, uh, for some genes to express itself. And our environment can actually decide what kinds of genes can express themselves also. So Lilo tries to teach him how to be the model citizen, mainly by teaching him how to follow Elvis's example here. Hands on your hips, yeah, follow my lead. This is the face of romance. She looks like she could use some loving. What kind of environment do our kids really need in order to grow and to, uh, in, in a positive way? Like, uh, I don't know. What things have you noticed with our kids that kind of really help them? Um. Well, time together, I think spending time together in a fun, positive way, but also having, um, being there, but like being supportive of like their schoolwork and helping them if they have problems with that or if they need help with that, um, going to support them in whatever activities they play in and, and do, um, just like doing things together, I feel like. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you should say that because that's really kind of what the research states that the, what the brain most needs is other people around them who provide a, uh, something that their brain can learn from. That our brain most is, is affected by the people who are around us. And our brain is kind of programmed to be like a sponge. Like, for instance, we've had lots of little children, but how much do uh, little kids copy what everybody else does? <laughs> They, that's what they do. 
which is super cute. When my eight-year-old talks like my 17-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what she's around. <laughs> uh, was that just recently or what happened with that? Oh, have you not? She just talks, old, like she speaks older. Sometimes she just uses phrases that she learns from her teenage sister. Yeah. Sounds really cute coming out of an eight-year-old's mouth. Felicity does do that a lot, yes. She has kind of learned from that in, a, in, in an interesting way, so. I don't know if that is, I've never been a youngest. She's a youngest and she has lots of older siblings, so she learns older sibling, older <laughs> actions or something, I don't know. But yeah, well, yeah, the brain kind of is designed to learn from those around us so we don't actually have to teach little kids everything because most of what they learn they learn just by watching and the brain is actually designed to do that which is uh, uh, this interesting uh, experiment that I know you've seen before also with the uh, optometry experiment let me show you that where what they do is they put a girl into an waiting room and they want to see if she's going to pick up on some strange behavior that they're having all the other people in the waiting room do just to just like a sponge to answer that question we set up a hidden camera experiment to see if this woman would stand up at the sound of this tone simply because everyone else is you might be thinking you'd never go along with this or would you After just three beeps, and without knowing why she's doing it, this woman is now conforming perfectly to the group. So anyway, she teaches the next guy, and they, and they end up with a whole new room of people who've all learned to stand up at the beep. The fact is, is the brain is designed to actually watch the other people around them and learn from them. So interestingly enough, we've seen that with all our kids, right? As they kind of watch the other kids above them and they tend to learn those kind of things, right? Um, but some kids actually, because of certain genetics and brain development, have a harder time picking up certain things, right? Like an autistic kid, which we have uh, an autistic daughter, um, has a harder time picking up on social skills and rules and being able to understand what those rules are and, and all those kind of things. So, so our ability to pick up on those things is also related to our genetics as well. So the question then is, how do we, what it makes a child more likely to learn from an older child? Well, you kind of mentioned it there, right? They kind of look up to Emmeline, for instance. Yeah, and they like being around her. Or if you're around, what, if you're around someone more than others, like they're going to learn from who they're around, right? Yeah. Either whether it's at school or at home or if it's parents, if you're an only child or, you know, who are you around? If it's yeah. a daycare. Yeah, a lot of studies show that uh, kids learn most from those who they're around and also those whom they identify with and like to be with and um, feel like they're part of the same group, actually. I read an interesting study once that talked about cheating, actually. It comes from an interesting book called The um, uh, the the Truth About the Honest... Uh, something about dishonesty. I'll, I'll put it in the notes. Anyways, um, uh, they talk about how... Uh, what they did is they're trying to see what makes people more likely to cheat or not cheat. And they did an experiment at a college where they would allow people... they would, If they were to cheat, they would get paid more or less. And what 
what mattered if they were cheating depended on if other people who wore their same college sweatshirt were cheating or if it was from a rival college that was cheating. If it was from a rival college, they were less likely to cheat because they were like, yeah, we don't do what those people do. But if it was from the same college, they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to get paid more if I do what this other guy from my group does. So that has a lot to do with it, is whether they identify with it. And that kind of goes back to the uh, podcast I did with Mr. Mooring on, uh, on base of power. So how do you build a base of power with your kids? How do you get them to identify with what we're trying to teach them? Keep <laughs> um, How do you get them to do what? How, how do we get them to... How do we get kids to identify with what we're trying to teach them? With, to feel uh, that we have a base of trust and power with them so that they want to learn from us. Well, then they have to see us in a good light. Right? Like they need to respect Hold us. Hold on just a second. Hey, Emily? Okay, can you be a little bit quieter while we're uh, videotaping out here? Because you're very loud. Oh, sorry. Okay. Unless you want to be on the video, you can do that. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll go back to the original question. So in my podcast with Mr. Morin, we talk about base of power and how to have uh, used the light side to be able to influence kids. So how do we create that base of power where kids want to learn from us because they identify with us and they see us as somebody they want to learn from? Well, well you kind of just said it. Yeah. You want you want to be someone that they want to learn from. Like it needs to be a positive relationship, right? Yeah. Like it'd be the light side, not using the dark side the most, but trying to like have a like have a good relationship. If they if they don't like you or they're scared of you, then why would they want to be like you? Yeah. So curious. Can you think of people that you might have learned that inspired you to want to follow when you were a kid or a teenager or part of your adult years? Somebody that you identified with and made you want to learn from them? Um, I guess someone who... I don't know. Someone who I see as, like, doing things that I would want to do. Like, I see them as an example of what I would want to be. Yeah. Or want to do. Okay. Like, I see it in a good light. I don't see it as a, like, I mean, I'm thinking of a particular person. I think she does so many things better than I do, but she's still, like, like, I don't know. Like, not, I, would, I don't consider her, like, so above me that I couldn't do good things that she does okay right yeah that's what i figure <laughs> i think you're you probably totally do things better than her anyways no her. no 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 but i i mean i guess you have to think that they're not out of your league right okay so yeah somebody that you can learn from like yeah i probably wouldn't learn from an olympian or olympic swimmer or something like that because there's no way i could feel like i could do that mm -hmm. but somebody like i had a favorite teacher who really changed my destiny because i I, I felt like I identified with him, I liked his sense of humor, I liked what he said, and that made me want to learn from him. Made me kind of, and that's kind of, actually it was him who made me decide to become a teacher. I was sitting in his classroom, and uh, 
I was having these thoughts about whether I should be a teacher or not, and uh, I kept pushing that away because I didn't want to be poor. Thank you for being poor with me, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. So, uh, um, uh, so I pushed that away, and, and, and then I had a, uh, when I was sitting there one day in the class, he looked out at the class and he said, there are some of you in this room who know in your hearts that you should be a teacher, but you won't do it because you don't think you'll make enough money. So well, I'm calling you to repentance. I was like, oh crap, he knows what I'm talking about. So anyways, and then uh, when I asked Tiffany to marry me, uh, I actually, uh, I, I threw that disclaimer in there. I said, hey, will you marry me? She said, yes. I said, oh wait, I forgot something. Then I knelt down and said, now will you marry me? She goes, still yes. I said, and you realize I'm going to be poor, right? So are you willing to be poor with me? Because I'm going to be a teacher. So don't forget that. And I said, yes. No, I've never forgotten that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. But we're very good at being poor together. Yes. Okay. But it's not so bad because we still have this nice TV right here. All right. In any case. They get really cheap these days. Yes, that is true. Even us poor people can afford them. All right. So in any case, um, uh, kids learn best from people who they have that base of power with that that trust and uh, i wanted to kind of show a little bit of what about what that is here with this next thing. all right so one thing i want to talk about here is is um, that base of power gives us power to discipline but we always think of discipline as the wrong thing right when i say the word discipline what do most people think of like a negative Bad Harsh word. punishment. Punishment, like thing. being yelled at, like you're being yeah. disciplined, right? That mm -hmm. kind of a thing. So what is discipline really? Now, it doesn't mean we don't have discipline. Some people confuse discipline and punishment. Discipline comes from the Latin root word disciplina, which means to teach. Discipline is actually teaching. So good discipline is actually good teaching. And oftentimes, as I tell my students, um, doesn't have to do with punishments or even rewards. Like most people think of punishments and rewards as the way to discipline, but the fact is it has more to do with teaching because kids just need to know how to do what they need to do. And uh, oftentimes with people that have a base of power with them, they're more likely to want to learn them. The We, we tend to think of kids as... We tend to think of kids as uh, um, people we have to um, get them to want to do what's best, right? And that's where we talk a little about in extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation, right? Extrinsic motivation is from punishments and rewards, whereas intrinsic motivation, you've always had intrinsic mo motivation, right, going to school? Why is it that you did well in school? Is it because your parents threatened you to... No. My dad even tried to pay me to get a C, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> See, her dad wanted to get lower grades because she was so concerned about it. Because you always had intrinsic motivation, right? Which yeah. is what? I just wanted to do well at it. Like, that was, like, well, that was, I put that on me as um, my value. Yeah. So. So then, of course, all, not, not everybody has that value, right? Not every kid have that value. So then the big question becomes, how do we help kids who are not in, intrinsically motivated to find that intrinsic motivation? That's a really good question. Thank you. That's hard. Like, how do you? Like, when they don't have that intrinsic motivation. 
Does that mean it's all extrinsic? Well, sometimes you need to start with a little bit of extrinsic, but you don't want to stay extrinsic, right? Because no. it can get stuck on that, right? Right, and then you don't won't ever like really want to just do it for yourself. So if you're using only extrinsic motivation, like punishments on a child as they're getting older, what happens when they move out of the house? They do whatever they want because they have no more of you. No, yeah, <laughs> they don't have the extrinsic is no longer there to give them the motivation that they need, right? So we need them to eventually find that intrinsic motivation. That's why too much extrinsic motivation can actually hurt, right? I saw one study that said if you were to bribe a child to eat their broccoli, they're less likely to eat broccoli when they're adults. Hmm. Which is very sad because broccoli is delicious. Broccoli by the way. is delicious, but all our kids like it. So I'm not, not so sure problem. about cauliflower though. That's a little weird. Maybe we should try it. So, okay. So we want to talk about um, intrinsic motivation here. I'm actually going to skip forward a little bit here and then come back to this one. So let's use uh, Big Hero 6 as an example here, right? All right, so a hero <laughs> at the beginning of the movie actually wanted to um, uh, bot fight, which was illegal because he would bet on the bot fights, right? So he gets caught and punished by the police. Does that stop him? Better make this up to Aunt Cass before she eats everything in the cafe. For sure. And I hope you learned your lesson, Bonehead. Absolutely. You're going bot fighting, aren't you? There's a fight across town. If I book, I can still Wait. make it. So obviously the extrinsic motivation didn't do anything to change him. And in some cases, it just tries to teach them how to get away with it, right? Because it's not bad if you don't get caught, right? According to hero's motivation here, okay? So, in order to help that, his brother decides to stop by his lab to be able to try and motivate him intrinsically that he can do something better with his rather impressive brain. Is this gonna take long? Relax, you big baby. We'll be in and out. Anyway, you've never seen my lab. Oh, great. I get to see your nerd lab. <laughs> Prepare to be amazed. Catch. Pink. Here's the best part. Whoa. Me too. Peanuts. Huh, not bad. You've done some serious coding on this thing, huh? Uh-huh. Programmed them with over 10,000 medical procedures. This chip is what makes Baymax Baymax. I have to go here. If, if I don't go to this nerd school, I'm going to lose my mind. How do I get in? So... He's able to get intrinsic motivation. Well, what's the difference between that and the police? Like, why does that make such a better, better difference? <laughs> well, that's going to lead him on a much more positive path. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not, it's not negative. It's positive in motivation. Yeah. Like, the police is a negative, right? I want to stay away from the police. It's a negative motivation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and that's a question. Now, how do you actually inspire a kid intrinsically? That's a question Tiffany and I have asked ourselves a million times about each of our kids in different ways. And the fact is it's been pretty much different for all of them, right? Yep. <laughs> they, yeah. uh, they've all, like some of them are very much intrinsically motivated in some areas, but all of them still have struggled in some areas to be intrinsically motivated. But it's all been like, different like a smorgasbord of different stuff for each kid 
I was just talking about this today with my child development class. Like each of our kids has been so different that we have to refigure it out for each kid. I guess it's an adventure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now the important thing is though is that again I can't we can't give you the answer for what was going to work for your kid, but I want to just teach these principles that you want to go more towards intrinsic motivation. Look for that those things that's going to help help them find the intrinsic motivation and lay off the extrinsic motivation. Uh, it is appropriate to have some amount of extrinsic motivation, some amount of punishments or rewards, but those are typically we want to use those. Those are kind of bottom of the bag of tricks. Like you want to have several different teaching tricks that you go to as your go-to and then punishments and rewards as rare things that you have to do from time to time. So, but like for instance, uh, I remember some of our kids have been intrinsically motivated to do well in school, whereas some kids needed to start off with a little bit of extrinsic, but again, we didn't want to push that too hard. Like Geneva, for instance, really struggled with doing homework when she was in elementary school. So No, middle school. Yeah, middle school. Elementary school is really not homework. No, there's a little bit. I remember that a little bit. And middle school, so, and she's our artistic daughter. So she eventually <laughs> was able to find self-motivation though, right? In certain subjects. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a big part of it, right? The seven right. shoes really. The shoes so by the time she went to college, she was much, much easier in college because she liked those subjects. Intrinsically motivated, she worked really hard. We still had to help her with executive function skills, which, uh, if you haven't heard that term before, has more to do with self-organization, being able to understand syllabuses and when to turn things in, and all that kind of stuff. Open your emails. Emails, all that kind of stuff is executive functions. I was actually just reading a, a post today online where somebody said, how is it that I'm so good at reasoning skills but really bad at common sense? And it was uh, in an autistic group, and I said, well, that's executive function. Autistics uh, like us tend to uh, have trouble with executive function, even though you might be smarter than heck. So I don't know how smart heck is, but pretty dang smart probably. Mm. Yes, exactly. So, uh, but then other kids, for instance, do really well in um, being motivated for school, but might have trouble being motivated in other areas, like learning to be, to want to date people who are good for them. Mm. Like another certain 17-year-old that we might have right now. <laughs> but she it's not she, very nice she admits to this also and, and she knows that we talk I talk about this in my her class whenever I talk about her in my class then one of her friends in my class like to text her and tell her hey your dad's talking about her and she comes and she laughs about it with me so she knows I talk about it with her about her all the time but like we tried to help her with that for a while but in some ways she had to eventually find her own intrinsic motivation with that right like we couldn't force that on her yep even though we wanted to Yep. <laughs> Can't do it though. So anyways, what I'm saying is that intrinsic, extrinsic motivation is going to be different for each kid. So there's a lot of trial and error to find that. The important thing is do the trial and error to try and find the intrinsic motivation rather than just rely on extrinsic stuff. Punishments. Because that doesn't, just doesn't really work long term. Yeah. Like... 
that's yeah you want them to have it when they leave home for sure like yeah it feels good to have your kids go off and first thing you do at college is find a part-time job so they can keep paying for their schooling and yeah yeah because they know how to do it so and it's going to be different for everyone that's why i can't tell you how to do it uh, but one other thing I want to bring up here before we end here is that um, most parents have the idea that kids do as well as they want to. But the fact is all kids want to do well. So it's really more that kids do as well as they can. So a lot of discipline is teaching kids how, how to do well, not to want to do well, which is what most punishments and rewards are for, to get the kids to want to do well they have to learn how to do well. And that includes things that you think are motivation type things, right? Sometimes it's executive function and it looks like laziness, but it's really just they don't know how to organize themselves to do their homework or to do that, or to have the skill to do that before they do other things. They still have to learn how to do that, right? Which is what Geneva had to learn and why she got better at it as she learned it. So I wanna show one more scene here from Lilo actually, where you're great. Lilo is uh, learning dancing, and while she's at the dance, um, uh, um, she is called a bad name by another kid. Now, she doesn't know how to handle that, and so she reacts in a bad way. You're crazy. Please, everybody calm down. Girls, Oliver Lao. Lilo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Maybe we should call your sister. No, I'll be good. I want to dance. I practiced. I just want to dance. I practiced. Ew, she bit me. So, different kids can be intrinsically motivated by some things. <laughs> I see later and I'm yawning. Yeah. Sorry. Different kids can be intrinsically motivated about some things, but have a harder time with other things, right? Like, for instance, our own kids have done really well with some things, but maybe struggle with other things also. Like, for instance, Geneva, when she was in elementary school or middle school, had a harder time with homework and turning that in compared to some other uh, some of our other kids. But over time, she got better at it, right? Yeah. So what, what, what did we do? I don't remember. What did she do? I don't know. We had to help her make a plan on how she was going to remember to turn things in or how it was going to get out of her backpack or, you know, I don't know, try different things, different steps. But I don't know. I remember in high school, she would just take her homework in her backpack, already done. She'd go sit it by the desk and then she'd come home with it. Be like, why did you not take that out and give it to your teacher? So I think it was practicing, I don't know. Try to make a plan well, with that, it was like it. an executive function skill, which is something that autistics, our autistic daughter Geneva, have, has always struggled with, but has gotten better over time with, right? Yeah. She had to learn those skills, but we had to teach her without using rewards or punishments, but teach her how to do it, because she wanted to do well. She yeah. want, I mean, she wanted to turn in her homework. She would just forget or something else. So we had to come up with strategies that were different, whereas other kids didn't have those same issues or struggles. I had, uh, um, I was uh, looked on a post just today actually where somebody was saying, I'm autistic, how is it that I can really understand and reason really well but have a hard time with common sense? And I said, well that's executive function. 
and we tend to have problems with that but can reason really well so so for her she had to learn that skill of executive function of how to do those kind of things ADHDers are oftentimes similar as well like they want to do well but they really might struggle with paying attention and they have to work much harder than somebody else who doesn't have ADHD just to pay attention and so it may not seem like they're getting quite the same payoff they put much more effort in with a much less payoff and so it can seem worthless right so you're an elementary school substitute teacher yep so you see kids who really struggle and who really do well is that because the kids who really struggle just don't have any motivation no i think sometimes it's just if it's if it's harder for you then it's harder to do it right like they they want to do well. They all want. They all want to do well. They all look for that um, validation. You yeah. know that I'm doing well. Um, it just might all be. It might be a different level. Some kids won't have the confidence that because they, you know, maybe they compare themselves to someone else who can do it really fast, um, or they just don't want to keep trying because it's frustrating and they feel like they're not smart enough. But they would like to. Yeah. Do well. They would like to. Yeah, as a high school teacher, I've never met a kid who hasn't wanted to do well. Oftentimes, by the time they reach high school, they've already been defeated by whatever happened in elementary school, middle school, or with their parents and all those kind of things. So they think that why even try? It's useless anyways. But um, they want they want to do well, just like they do in elementary school. So the key is helping them feel like they can do well and helping them with the skills that are keeping them from doing well. And we think of that as motivation, but it's really more, again, a skill that they're lacking. That they... She doesn't do well, is that because she's not motivated to do well? Because she it seems like she really wants to do well, so, so what skill is Lilo lacking here? Um, controlling herself when she gets angry. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing how to control her anger, which is a skill. And yeah. again, learning how to do that is harder for some kids than other kids because of genetics again, mm -hmm. right? Some kids, uh, and this is uh, big with kids who are autistic or ADHD or things like that, is emotional self-regulation self takes much more effort than other kids oftentimes. And sometimes um, we think of it as, well, they're just not motivated like this other kid. But oftentimes they are. But it just is a skill that takes much more effort for them to learn than somebody else so but that can just be from that can be from environment too if you don't if you learn from other people around you that you don't have to control your anger and that you just lash out then yeah you, know, you won't have learned that you wouldn't help you won't have learned how to control your anger when you go into social situations or some kids have learned that they get what they want when they use angry anger Oh, yeah. And so they've been rewarded for anger, and oftentimes parents don't realize that. That um, if they, if uh, sometimes a parent will say no, but if a kid then gets angry, then they'll back off and say okay. So then they just taught them, how do you get what you want? You get angry, and that will get you what you want. So that's another dangerous thing. So we'll get into some more of those things here in the near future here. So, 
But um, the fact is, is our kids, um, they've struggled in some ways. Um, they've all struggled in different ways with some kinds of intrinsic motivation, uh, but done really well in others. And so, again, most kids do really well in some areas, but have a hard time in others. So you got to learn what to do to be able to help them in whatever area, because each kid learns a little bit differently. It's always a trial and error. The key thing, as we've talked about, is learning these principles, which is work on finding the intrinsic motivation, use extrinsic motivation sparingly. You're going to use that from time to time, but you want to to find a way to build in the intrinsic motivation much more, which we'll talk about in our next podcast episode. So, so check out my website, jetbrownsclassroom.com, and uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and uh, please share this with other people, and uh, you can even share it with uh, other people that you don't like as a way to be passive-aggressive. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Say, hey, you really need to learn to have these skills because you probably suck at these. No, I'm just kidding. That's what everybody... uh, Nobody likes to hear that, hey, listen to this parenting podcast. They're like, why? What's wrong with my parenting? Well, there's something wrong with all of our parenting. Sadly. So deeply very wrong. So, anyways, thank you. Thanks, Tiffany, for joining us. And uh, we will... See you next time.